Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Well, first of all, I want to give thanks to Odin, and I want to thank all of the other of the deities and the different beings that are part of Odin's story. I give thanks for the idea of intention, focus, sacrifice, and the creativity that that unlocks. And I ask that Odin be present with us at this time. Anybody else? I would call the norms. <laughs> so, thank you so much for your amazing blessing and wisdom. And please help me do well by you. And I want to honor Yggdrasil and the wisdom of the natural world and the wisdom of the ancient tree of every culture and how it brings us together through story, through mystery through nourishment, being able to tap into the sacred waters that run underneath and contain us. I ask for the presence of healing of these waters and the presence of the healing of the sacred tree as it reaches out to us, as we reach for it, it reaches back. So I honor and thank for this longing and for this exchange. And I give thanks to the Valkyries and the Ravens and, as you said, the natural world. And I also give thanks for stories that live on like this story lives on. And I do ask that in these strange and changing times that we invite also and welcome Saga into our midst and ask her in her craft and her wisdom to um, support these stories as they go out into the world, these different snapshots of this particular vision. Thank you so much for coming into my life and I think all of our lives as well. And I'm just greatly thankful. I want to thank all the liminals as well, yeah. I want to thank our sweet unknown listener, whoever you may be. This is a story about Odin and all the magical beings that gather around his initiation. The three swan Valkyries glided in over Valhalla at sunset. Wearied by nine long years of domestic captivity, they would have shouted with joy to see the shining shields of the Einherjers Hall. 
still in swan form, all they could do was honk excitedly. Coming to a landing by the scarred perches of Odin's ravens, they began their transformation back to their womanly forms. One raven, large as a sheep, turned its ruffled head from the direction of the few warriors left fighting on the practice field and said curtly, he isn't here, don't bother changing back. He wants you to cleanse and ready yourself for duty at Erda's well. He did know we were there, muttered Ulrun, whose gift for knowing things had prompted her to say just that repeatedly during their captive years as wives. Of course he did, said the other raven, Munin, looking interestedly at the three. Between Heimdall and us, he knows everything. Why didn't he rescue us then, said Hervor Alvito, the most contentious of the three. Nine years is a long time. Maybe you should have done exactly as he said when he said it, said Hugin gruffly. Just because you've been given will doesn't mean you shouldn't use discretion with it. I just wanted to see if that cowardly warrior could show some nobility before he got a free ride to Valhalla, Hervor said defensively. His father's a drinking buddy of the Allfather, said Munin. Check those things out before you make your own decisions. Anyway, you should get going. Big doings going on, and you don't want to have Odin's baleful eye on you just now. Right, we're off, said Lagertha Swan White. Thank you for your courtesy. She held on to her dignity even during her running, waddling start to flight. The three swans lifted off and circled above the field, looking for the hidden and magnetic pathway to the base of the world tree, where the well was situated. Finding a trace of it 300 meters up, the swans pictured the well in their minds and honed in on the proper frequency. Engaging with the pathway, they settled into easy flight, aided by the magic of the path. Shifting worlds, shifting scenery, they merged into a realm where the immense tree Yggdrasil dominated the view. Making for the base of the tree with its tangle of roots, they sighed a collective sigh of relief. Erda's well, a pool never looking quite the same, looked eerily like the pool that had attracted them to drop their swan coats and bathe after a particularly gruesome battle. It was there that they had their coats stolen by three elven hunters, along with their means for transforming back into swans. Unable to flee without their coats, to their horror, they felt their very nature change from imperious Valkyries to docile and adaptive wives. As they landed beside the well, that near-fatal docility was what they each hoped would be washed from them in the healing and restorative waters of the ancient well of origin. There was no sign of the Norns there, but the similar appearance of the pool indicated that the resident Norns were well aware of the Valkyries. Even though it's the Allfather's orders that we bathe here, said Lagertha, I think we had best obey Verdande's house rules of only two swans on the pool at a time. As the swans dropped their coats and slid their gleaming bodies into the pool, Hervor began to look for a good place by the base of the tree for a restorative nap. As she came closer to the tree, she became aware of a curious energy emanating around the tree. Unlike the dappled sunshine around the pool, dark shadows were present under the tree. The consciousness of the tree, normally benign and somewhat drowsily remote, felt very present, very awake, and even a bit twitchy. 
She shed her coat, tying it around her womanly waist and noted to her surprise that her battle senses were opening up. What is going on here, she wondered. She put some thought into picturing the rather irascible Norns clearly in her mind. The destiny goddesses remained stubbornly out of her sight. I summon you, Norns, she said, exerting her will. A wavering, transparent image of the Norns appeared. Erda was spinning a thick rope with what looked like fibers from a gallows noose and shredded shrouds from corpses. Scold was cutting symbols that glowed like embers from a fire into the roots of the tree, and Verdande was unrolling tapestries that had already been cut from their looms. As one, they all turned to Hervor and said, get out. I can't, said Hervor, the Allfather sent us. The Norns all looked at one another with raised eyebrows and as one shook their heads. Then back off and stay out of the way, said Erda, and don't bother us again. You can bathe with them, said Verdande over her shoulder. I relax my rules for this one day only. Her final glimpse before the Norns disappeared from her sight, rather as though they drew down a shade, was of Skuld pushing some sigils far up into the corner of the tree's trunk. These did not glow, and as they were pushed, disappeared from sight. Skuld murmured, I'll save these for another day. She swung her curved blade with a whistling sound. Hervor hurried to the pool and said to her companions, there's something very strange about to happen here. Actually, it has already started. She told them about her interaction with the Norns. As she entered the pool, she said hurriedly, Verdande gave me leave to enter the pool. Lagertha, thinking it through, said, Odin wants us here for something. If our battle senses are awake, we'd best be ready for anything. And hope that we are doing his will, said Ulrun with a dark look at Hervor. Come on, let's clean up and armor ourselves. As they set about this plan, they did not yet notice that another had come to the well. This lady glowed and crackled with vitality. She approached the well and seeing her own luminous beauty reflected in the well, adjusted her golden necklace to best advantage and noticed with a self-loving smile that in order to scry in the well, she would have to dim her own radiance. What is he up to? Why has he summoned me? She asked the well. The pool changed its appearance again, this time to that of a crystalline surface swirling with clouds. As she watched, her smile faded and she scrutinized the images she was shown, scene after scene of Odin summoning the recent dead. Most of these were below gallows, whether punishments or sacrifices, she didn't know. She watched him summoning vulvas from their entombed sleep. She saw his commands to his Valkyries to slay hero after hero, army after army. The death toll mounted. She even saw an image of Odin secretly watching her practice her arts of scythe. Bastard, truth getter, she murmured, laughing a little. Then frowning, she saw him throw his spear over her people, starting the first war. Then prowling around the battlefield afterwards, trying to sniff out the magic of her Vanir. She saw how many a ruler dedicated the slain in battle to Odin after that, doing as he did, throwing the spear. 
She felt a stirring at her side and saw that she had been joined at the well by an elder elf. Acknowledging him with a smile, she noted his quiet serenity. With his presence, the images in the pool changed and she saw elf after elf being summoned from within grave mounds and questioned by Odin to give to him the secrets of the dead there entombed. The wind stirred. The light around the tree's base darkened as though clouds passed over the sun. The tree started creaking and groaning, shivering as branches rustled. The Allfather, Odin, face white and set, single eye glaring, approached the tree. Each movement he made was heavy with his intention. He carried Gungnir, his spear, a length of white cloth and a sharp iron knife. Solemnly standing before the tree, he spoke his intent to the tree in a low growl. All the deaths he had incited, he offered to the tree. Filling his lungs, he simultaneously blew out and stabbed the iron knife into the tree. He placed his spear against the tree's massive trunk. The Norns appeared instantly behind him. Erda came forward and dropped a corpse noose around him. Without turning, he pulled the noose down to his ankles from his neck. My way, he said, I need my breath. Freya moved forward, catching his attention. She nodded to him. Hangatir, she breathed, God of the Hanged. She held her fist over her heart and bowed. The swan Valkyries, restored to their militant regalia with spears in hand, stepped forward and knelt. Filgia, Haminya, Desir, said Odin to them. Each nodded solemnly. The elder elf showed himself. Lord of the grave mound, he bowed. Ponderously, the tree lowered a great branch with much creaking. The ravens were already perched on the branch. Raven god, they croaked in unison. Skuld waved her knife saying, I'll cut you down when it's time. Verdande tore a strip from the white cloth and tied it around his eye and socket. The branch whipped up, scattering the ravens and dangling Odin from its high reach, head hanging downward, long braid trailing. In this manner, in silence, days passed. The swan valkyries, the ravens, and the norns kept vigil for him. The winds came and went, sometimes crooning, sometimes shrieking. Those closest to Odin came and went. Freya came always at dusk. Frigg, eyes shining with calm demeanor, sang to him, Beloved. Thor, a few days later, still armored from whatever battle he'd been in, gazed upon his father hanging in extremity and named him Victory God. Loki, examining the increasing magic circling around the one-eyed god, called out, High One, while laughing, Dangler. 
Sleipnir, on the eighth day, pawed the earthen roots below Odin with three of his eight legs. At darkfall on the ninth day, magic reaching a nearly unbearable pitch, in great suffering, Odin cried out, I sacrifice myself to myself. Thunder cracked and rumbled, lightning split the sky. Lagertha took hold of Gungnir, fiercely launched herself and speared Odin with it through the heart. Odin's hands immediately clutched the shaft of the spear. Spear God, she cried out to him. Frenzied, dying, Odin swung wildly. Skuld threw her blade at the corpse rope and cut Odin from the tree. Writhing, screaming, Odin fell and continued to fall into death as the roots of Yggdrasil tore open a great hole in the ground. The Valkyries fell to their knees. Symbols exploded out of the roots and struck Odin's corpse with considerable force, shocking him into an after-death life. Blindfold gone, light and power blazed out of the empty eye socket. Some of the glowing symbols splashed out onto the onlookers. Chaotic light and sound spiraled wildly. Exultant, the Norns cried out, Valtir, slain god, bequeathing to him forces not yet birthed into the world that would be called runes, songs of secret knowledge. And with them, the vast wisdom and power held by the dead. I'm doing uh, from the Norns. It's mostly for Dandi, but actually some of they were chiming in together sometimes and had little disagreements before settling on <laughs> to do it. So there you go. Okay. Sacrifice. There is always a thread hanging that needs to be cut. Sacrifice to make sacred, to trim off the old in order to weave in the new. Sacrifice, death that consecrates life. Odin is always discontent, can't know enough. He's like some of you that way, never satisfied. That's the real reason he wanders. He says he needs to recruit people. Really, he just wants to know everything about everyone, everywhere. Anyway, on this day, he wanted to know death, so he did. It looked like a deep purple spot on his tapestry. Purple is the hardest color for everyone involved. So when Erd spun purple, we all knew it was going to be, well, interesting and exhausting. Purple is exhausting in the best possible way. We were tending to the roots of Yggdrasil, feeding her the compost of life. You know, like the expressed emotions, forgiven slights and reconciled dreams. When we noticed Odin watching with an obsessive kind of interest, he is always that way really, either interested or not. He was staring and then he pulled out a noose. I remember one of us muttered purple. I'm not sure which one now, it doesn't matter. In any event, he looked at us as if we might do something like try to talk him out of it or shoot him or cover him in dried fruit or any one of a million other things that only he would think of. When we told him that we had seen the purple but didn't choose it, it was Orlog, not weird. 
He sighed with relief. I don't know what he thought, but he seemed happy that we weren't going to go rogue on him. Then it was so sweet. He asked us to watch over him. Of course, we told him, that's what we're here for. Then Erd climbed up into the tree to help tie the rope so he wouldn't fall prematurely. Where Log is mostly her department. So we got the noose all cinched up and dangling over the well. He didn't really seem to want the well, but we wanted to be sure that if he fell, he wouldn't hurt himself, more than was necessary anyway, and that he would have access to creation or recreation in his case. Then he climbed up, stabbed himself with gum near, no easy task, I tell you, and there he hung, day in and day out, for nine days. Eugen and Munin, Brecky and Gary, they all just sat there with him, guarding him. Brig was watching him through her scrying pool. She didn't want to add any pressure. So sweet. His visitors came and went, mostly his ancestors. Ori brought him some honeyed cake, but he wasn't in the eating mood, what with the spear in his side. We wrapped up the cake and put it on a ledge just inside the well to keep it fresh until he was done. Birthday cake. Somebody brought him some mead too, magical mead of course. You wouldn't give a dying god just a regular glass. Now they call that the mead of poetry, but it's really more like the mead of beauty and power. For us, that's what poetry is. And he learned the spells and carved the runes. I know the rune thing seems strange, but he carved them in himself. He scored them into his heart, mind, and soul as he hung there, sometimes weeping, sometimes laughing. You know how it is when reality is too big to fit into your body and you waffle between despair and ecstasy? It was like that. At first, it was slow. He'd be groaning all morning, then grinning all afternoon, but it sped up as he dangled until at the end of it, it was hard to tell which end of the spectrum he was on. We suspected both. On the last night, the Valkyr stayed with him in a candlelight vigil. It was one of the most beautiful things we've ever seen, and we rarely agree on that kind of thing. It was Walpurgis night, sort of like your Halloween, but without the costumes and candy. Wild, instinctual magic builds up all year and then breaks loose that night, only to be reined in the following day. Unless, of course, it is first assumed into the body of a god. And that night, it was. In the morning, his ecstatic fever broke. Broke him, broke his rope, broke his makeshift gallows. And he dropped, less like a rock than like a feather, truth be told into the well where he drank and drank and drank. He climbed up and out, retrieving, then enjoying his birthday cake. And for one moment, and one moment only, Odin was satisfied. Sacrifice releases the past. Sacrifice restarts the heart. Sacrifice reveals the magic. This part of the story is an honor of the sacred seeker. My first awareness is not of the tree, but of the darkness and stars of unknown origin shimmering in the distance. For nine days now, I must have lingered between worlds, feeling the rustling of leaves around me as I reversed myself to embrace myself and all that had been hidden from me. I've had no food or drink of the living world, but the other world feeds me and quenches the thirst of my spirit. 
for the longing of my soul will surely outlast the thirst of the flesh, and I shall remain. Not knowing which way is up or down, nor of what world I came from, I wait, suspended, reversed, undone, and ecstatic with delirium. By what sorcery have I been bound here? What treacherous winds have stolen my power and left me defenseless? I hear it, the whistling wind mocking my confusion. Or is it my own laughter, rising with delight as my heart beats loudly like the roaring thunder? Desperately, I stare into the deep void and darkness around me until I see her true form, which is to my delight, the womb. And in that moment, I know it is I who bound myself to this moment. It is I who longed for her and all her mystery and was willing to offer myself fully. The binds around my feet unwind, for they never held me. And my position was always of the one about to fall into the abyss, which has no direction, only the entry, which is now revealed to me in all her glory. Like a long lost lover, I am embraced by her. Naked and longing, she is taking me in as deeply as I have let myself surrender. I dare to grasp at her swelling movements, but they have no form or move too fast for me to hold on to. Time is different here, or rather it does not exist, and neither does reason. I see so many things, most of which I cannot comprehend. The sounds are shapes and shapes are songs that vibrate through my very being. These shapes like dancing lights expand and collapse and begin to drift towards me. And from the depths, as they come closer, I see that it is a form of a man these shapes have cloaked, and he is me, and for me he comes, and I know there is no escaping. Only one of us will reemerge. Only one can remember. Who shall it be? Will it be I, the seeker of mystery? I, the giver of sacred markings. No time for deliberation in a timeless place, so it has been decided. My memory of hunger is awakened now and my deep longing must be filled. In one final breath, I devour my approaching dark self and his knowledge forever in me. That final breath is also my first breath, which has forced me out and caught me in a pool of dark water. And now I can see the tree, majestic, floating above me, with a one-eyed man stretched across its thick, luminous branches. He sees me looking back at him and laughs loudly, his voice slinging like a bell of a most familiar song. Thank you so much. That was super fun. What a beautiful marriage of three. <laughs> But yes, I thought it was lovely. And I really liked the way they fit in more than I thought they would. I really feared that they were going to actually diverge more than they did, but no. No, I think they were part of the tapestry, Odin's tapestry and the tapestry of all others who were part of that. Quite remarkable, actually. Hail Odin. Hail Odin. <laughs> And the tapestry. The Swan Maidens. Wow. They were glorious. <laughs> Thank you. That that telling was absolutely glorious. 
I'm really struck by the beauty of Odin's experience as you spoke of it, Gabriella, and the power of the threads of the tapestry and the way that all those threads are connecting from so many places and so many people and so many timelines and so many worlds. And I think in this telling of the stories for me, I felt as though it gave me a glimpse of what that experience must be like. Beautiful, thank you. I'm feeling deeply grateful for being part of this story and for the story wanting to be told and wanting to be told at this time, at such a potent time and a time where so many worlds are coming together and where perspective can change an entire world and calling someone by their sacred name as they surrender to some part of themselves that is completely unknown and terrifying to see them in that moment and to witness that is a huge blessing and a changing of the world as it was. So I kind of want to interview you as Odin. How did you feel about the people around you? <laughs> as Odin in that moment, there was no Odin. There was only the suspended one. There was only the longing one. There was no awareness of anybody around him, around me as Odin. There is no one else around. The beings around are formless, unknown. I am unknown. I am simply waiting for something great. And I am completely lost as to why I'm waiting. But I am aware of the great care and protection that's granted to me. In this unknown moment, I am cared for. I love them. I thought both of yours, particularly, are tremendously beautiful. I'm struck by how they came together and the details were of the same story, yet they came together out of the dark. They were not, they were truly out. They found them, they found each other as if. They were completely aware of the other being written at the same time, pulling the elements, but changing the elements enough to where they were still their own beings, their own stories. See, what glimpse of Odin did you get through the eyes of the Norns? My feeling about Odin through the eyes of the Norns was that he was a sweet boy. Like, look at our little boy has grown up. <laughs> sort of <it. laughs> So I felt very much like he was moving from man to God. Like this was the moment that he really became a God. And so it was almost like graduation, I felt. You know, he was going to his graduation now and everybody was you know, a little worried because I know it's gonna hurt for him, but simultaneously, they also know he's gonna be fine. <laughs> and I'm curious about the Swan Maidens and whether their oaths have changed after witnessing Odin entering this dimension of the unknown and of the highest mystery? Great question. I mean, my sense of them was that when they arrive in the scene in Valhav, they're looking in the past at their nine years of servitude, and they're quickly brought into a different alignment with themselves. and 
a remembrance of themselves, but also a taking of who they are into some form that was much greater than that. And I feel as though it took their relationship with Odin to a much higher level as well of gratitude, but also of uh, in being called Filgia, Haminya, Dísir, Odin was acknowledging them as part of himself, asking them to have the grace to be separate from him, but to hold him in a space where he could become greater in himself as they were becoming greater in themselves too. It was beautiful um, from that respect. I also felt as though they knew that he... They all knew that he sacrificed all of them and everything they had for this too, and that they accepted that. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just felt like it was such a shift in the story as you were telling it when the sacred names were being called, when everything leading up to that moment and the threads and everybody was witnessing, it just felt like something has really shifted everyone was there to be taken from, to participate, and especially Odin, of what the ultimate sacrifice, knowing that it must be witnessed or it wouldn't count or it wouldn't be as potent. So he's called everybody there. And in my story, I was surprised to see that as the runes, you know, took their hold of him, that they splashed out onto everyone who was there witnessing as well. And that feels like a further, a further entanglement of all those tapestries, but also a sharing of the deep wisdom that all of them in their own ways have really contributed to. I love that that moment was in the story because the runes are claimed by other gods, by other beings. And in this perspective, it brings it all together into, yes, they came to being because of his sacrifice in, in so many ways, but also the other people who were there, the other gods who were there have given them form through themselves. Really, really profound. And C, I must ask about purple. Thank you. I was going to do that too. <laughs> I am most intrigued. I'm most intrigued. I'm completely going with it because it yes, it makes sense. It is a it is a difficult color in many ways. It's the most difficult color to create in fabric, which is why it was historically used for divinity, because it was uh, very, very hard to create. That's lovely. Thank you. Another way of signaling to him what's happening for him. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because what would it be like if we were able to have our minds open enough to perceive those threads while they're forming, which can help us to see the direction that we're going in? So many of those threads were not only carrying him forward, but creating a form for him to do it in as well. Yeah, almost cocooning him. Mm -hmm. I really liked in all of them how he didn't quite know what was going on because so many people at least that I've heard tell the story as if you know oh he's out there being a badass but uh, in my mind not and so at least when I looked into it for me 
it was so about he was just following his intuition and following his guidance, not combating the world, but rather being himself, which is a way of combating the world, but not one we usually give that kind of credence and respect to. And that, that intense longing for knowledge or wisdom, but also for something greater. In my seeing of it or my story, it felt like everyone who was there was drawn by that longing and participated in that longing and then benefited from that longing also. But one never knows how, what exactly the benefit is going to be. That's the great unknown. Well, and for me, this story of Odin in particular feels the most human and he feels human. And even as the story came for me a few years ago, parts of it, I felt connected to as a man, not as a God, as a man who in that moment knows not of his divinity, but of his vulnerability and surrender which is his greatest asset in that moment into the mystery so he can be fully open to it. And she reveals herself only under those circumstances. I feel like that's so often our greatest asset is our ability to be open and vulnerable and present in the moment. And to know when it's appropriate to be open and when it's appropriate to sit up to stand up, to show up. Like those are both, all these aspects are in our birthright to being in mystery and being ourselves and truly showing up. Yeah, there's so many ways that this is the story of how Odin became Odin. (laughs) Yeah. I think you did a wonderful job, Gabriella, of letting us experience through the eyes of Odin what a transcendent and sometimes even bewildering experience it might be to open oneself in that kind of surrender. It was very beautiful, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. I loved in the Swan Maidens too, thinking about, so you know, I'm kind of ADD. And so in the Swan Maidens, I loved that I was reflecting too on what a different world we would live in we were all asked to be so fully present all the time, to really show up and to do things. And uh, it's a matter of formality versus heartfelt. How do we show up in a way that is truly heartfelt and really apply ourselves and our energies to the gifts of whatever is happening in each moment? I'm quite taken by them. I have to say, I cut out a little bit of their bickering that had been going on, you know, just at the pool, um, because we felt myself moving into the solemnity of the of the moment already once they entered into that landscape. But I, for myself, also really loved that they felt those battle senses opening and know, you know, knew that they had to stop all of that, pay attention, and get ready for whatever was going to happen. I like that about them. I loved that too. And just the idea of how do you know when the battle is internal versus external? How do you show up to the real battle, which sometimes is within yourself or myself? Right. And the elements really are the same and how they sensed the great shift in destiny 
as the battle, which is possibly what they are attuning to when there is a battle. Destiny is about to change. Things are about to get into a different, a different space. And in this way, that's how they would respond with their intuitive knowings of a great shift coming that way, coming their way. And I love the Norns interacting with them as well and recognizing ah, by another authority they have been summoned. Just sort of them being in part knowing of this moment, but also being changed by that moment. Or there are some elements unknown to them, like as if they're taken back, possibly because they're in preparation, making the color purple. It's... <laughs> you know, and the other on the other side, the color purple is a really, you know, it's a really challenging one to make. So they're not even paying attention that what who is coming here? Why are all these people here? Maybe that's why it's so hard to make, is because somebody's always distracting you when you're making it. <laughs> and I have to say, I didn't make this story up. This story just came through, but I love the reflections that were in it too, the reflections of the pool itself as people saw that. But also, even more importantly, the reflections that each of them gave to Odin when he needed it, when he was on the tree in various stages, each name carrying him, perhaps helping him coalesce into something truer and greater, as you were saying, becoming that divinity. Sometimes we don't know what's happening to us until somebody reflects it back to us like the Norns reflecting the purple, this is the choice of this is what happens when this color is part of your tapestry. In truth, I'd love to hear more of all of these people's stories. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Me too. Like, what's it like the morning after? <laughs> exactly. Exactly, the morning after. Who had sex with who? The after party. <laughs> we need a ticket to the after party. <laughs> How was the fruitcake? Yeah. And who got which runes, you know? So yes. <laughs> exactly. Deliberating how they will be shared with the rest and if they will be shared. Well, thank you. I just loved doing this. I loved going and chatting with the norms. What I loved about it, it's a bit eerie about how each of the stories wove together so well. Because as I was, you know, transcribing my story as it came through, I was thinking so much of my story is happening way before, you know, or somewhat before. But in the context of yours, it all makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely delighted by how beautifully they were woven together. What an absolutely balanced braid they created. Well, I feel like this week my thing has to be to hang on the tree myself because I felt that way when we were doing it. Right as we opened this and did the hail open. I think that idea of dedication, of dedicating even the chaos that's happening now is something that I'll focus on in this week. Um, dedicating my actions, dedicating what I hear in the news to the well-being of whatever it is that's emerging collectively and hoping that what's emerging in that way is going to be for the benefit of all. Thank you for your contributions to that. Yeah, thank you. I think that I will also concentrate on them welcoming emergent grace. 
And I will as well. As our three woven stories, as our three strands of vision, strengthening the intention for a better world, for a world we are consciously and subconsciously longing for and birthing. Yeah, a world in which the viewpoints of individuals matter and are part of what emerges for everyone's well-being. That includes the people, the tree, the animals, the birds, all of it. What do we want the new runes to be? Maybe the runes are the names of everybody's sacred calling mm -hmm. that they might have forgotten. Our names, our sacred yeah. names. Yeah. And our truly sacred yearnings also. Well, as always, I want to thank Saga, the great mistress of stories. And I think she's helped us each in her own way come to bring something very beautiful through. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Saga. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.